your Bibles to the prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament. You're going to find Matthew first in your Bibles, but there's one blank page. Just go back one blank page between Matthew and you'll find Malachi. We really don't know who Malachi was definitively, or where he was from. All we know comes from this uh, prophetic word that we have here, the people in Jerusalem who had quickly grown apathetic. Uh, they've, they're self-centered, they're lazy in their worship, their leadership was absolutely no help at all, like we heard from Micah last week. Um, the priests who had um, either returned with that first group of exiles back to Jerusalem or maybe had remained there, uh, they're not exercising uh, the God-given uh, responsibilities uh, faithfully. But Malachi is a faithful messenger of the Lord. Maybe not the most popular message, um, but one that people needed to hear at this moment in redemptive history. So I'm going to begin reading from Malachi 2, 17 through 3, verse 4. The prophet says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied Him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. This is God's holy and enduring word. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, show us great and wonderful things from your law. We come hungry for you to feed us through your word. And you who have been faithful to proclaim your word, we ask that um, it would be faithfully spoken this morning. um, That you would make us attentive as we listen and seek to apply this word to our hearts, to our lives, we do so only by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we ask for your help as we consider your word together. We thank you, Lord, that it will accomplish all that you have purposed for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So cleaning out uh, the inbox of one of my email addresses this last week happened to be the, the email that I use for, for chaplain responsibilities. And uh, there was an email announcing a, a FOD walk on a particular time in a particular place. You know, please come meet at that 0730 in front of the engine shop for our FOD walk. And if you're familiar with some of the more corporate uh, acronyms, you may recognize that one. But FOD stands for Foreign Object Debris or foreign object damage, depending on, on the context. Uh, so for a FOD walk, there are, are people that will line up, usually not much farther than, than your wingspan, and they walk um, 
walk the ramp or walk portions of the taxiway or a runway um, looking for and picking up any, any small debris uh, that could damage aircraft. Uh, be surprised how just a small screw or a bolt or a little twisty tie could uh, damage propellers or, or engines. Um, and they do this, I mean, fairly early in the morning, sometimes multiple times you know, week to, to prepare the ramp for um, the missions, the operations of the day. And it's often behind the scenes. Most folks in the wing aren't participating uh, in this, but it is critical preparation uh, for the mission itself. So in, in addressing the, the, the laziness and the selfishness and the forgetfulness of the people in Judah... The prophet says that someone is coming to prepare the way. It's a word that echoes Isaiah chapter 40 where a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So it's not a line of people crossing a vast ramp to prepare for more operations. It's a single messenger preparing the way for the Lord Himself. So I want us to consider two basic questions here from this passage. Who is the messenger or messengers that the prophet's talking about here and what is the message being conveyed? I think we'll find this extremely pertinent uh, to an Advent season and the hope that's ours this season. There's a lot of discussion here on who the messengers are in in 3 verse 1. Is Malachi actually writing about himself? His name, Malachi, when translated, means my messenger. Um, So that's led some to believe that maybe Malachi isn't the personal name of the prophet writing here, that it's just a a messenger and we don't know who this author is. And though that's possible, uh, not likely considering the range of meaning that we have for messenger, the fact that God Himself uh, is sending another messenger to prepare the way. And a messenger can speak for God. Sometimes it's God Himself who is described as the messenger. We hear this in places like Exodus 23 or Exodus 32 where the angel of the Lord, the messenger, goes uh, before the people. Uh, So this is a, a, a theophany, a picture of God Himself going before them. But notice who the people are actually seeking in 3 verse 1. Are, are they seeking the, the messenger who would prepare the way or another? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. So who are the people seeking? Who is the one they delight in or should delight in? Um, so with, with the various interpretations here, I'm inclined to believe that we have, we have two messengers being described. One messenger to prepare the way and the messenger of the covenant describing the Lord Himself. It is the Lord in whom they delight. The Lord in whom they seek. In Old Testament Israel, the people of Judah hearing this, they, they would have been prepped for the age to come. A new covenant age that... Uh, that God Himself would bring about. We hear this in in the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So it shouldn't surprise us that Malachi would use uh, this covenant language. One messenger will be a 
a forerunner to another messenger who will be the one that people are wanting and waiting for. He is their delight. So let's just um, pause there for a second, ask, ask an important question. Who do you seek? Is the messenger of the covenant your delight? Or are you focused more on the, the forerunner and those sent to, to prepare the way? Now this is a specific messenger, a specific forerunner, which we'll identify in a moment. But in a sense, those who hold the, the prophetic role, the preachers and teachers of the day, are the messengers called to prepare the way for the Lord been listening to a podcast that Christianity Today has uh, produced called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And they call it this long-form journalism. And it can be long. Some of these uh, episodes are two hours. Um, but it goes into the detail about the rapid growth of Mars Hill. And, and that, that was a mega church, a multi-site church in Seattle. I think it started in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And, and the power dynamics surrounding uh, Mark Driscoll dynamic, persuasive speaker. Um, he, he had just the right amount of angst and edginess for that moment in history and in that place. Um, and he, he had a mission, a focus on discipling young men and, and families, all while, while touting the gospel. And the question came about, what is the gospel? What is the good news that's being proclaimed? Um, and for Driscoll and the thousands who were, who were jumping on board, the, the church was growing, people were being baptized by the hundreds. So obviously the kingdom of God was on the move and it looked just like Mars Hill. But every person interviewed would tell you that this movement centered around the personality of Mark Driscoll and allegiance to this particular messenger. So something we need to think about. Let's be, let's be cautious, beware, lest we find greater attraction and allegiance to the messengers than the messenger of the covenant himself. He is our delight. And all we have to do you know, is flip ahead a few pages in our Bibles. It would be some 400 years before the people of Israel, uh, before the, we would recognize these words or words of Malachi would be fulfilled or at least fulfilled in part. There is an end of time, a foreverness to this messianic prophecy. So when we get to Luke 1, there is not one, but, but two birth narratives that are being told. Zechariah is told that his wife Elizabeth would have a child. That's a, a present they weren't expecting. Then Mary is told she's going to have a child. That seems... Pretty impossible. And Elizabeth gives birth and her, her son or child grows strong. Mary gives birth and her son grows in wisdom and stature. So these two children, these two sons, are growing up at the same time. And the parallel in these stories here tells us that that's pretty significant. That they're going to share the stage somehow. They're going to impact and influence one another in some way. And then when Zechariah can speak again, he tells us how this is going to work. Luke chapter 1. And you, child, he's speaking of his son John, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. There's helpful language. John is the forerunner. He is the messenger who will go before the messenger of the covenant, the Lord Himself. And if we have any doubts, uh, the Lord Jesus, Word made flesh, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, tells us who this messenger would be of, of Malachi 3, and who the Elijah of Malachi 4 verse 5, and none other than John the Baptist. I want you to hear these words. What then did you go out to see? Is he speaking to his, his disciples and those near him? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus seems to really commend John the Baptist. Seems very important to the story. He's the Elijah to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So do I need to take back what I was just saying about you know, allegiance to the messenger? Should the disciples have gone after John the Baptist? Followed him? Is he the one that they seek delight in? Well, John is in prison by the time Jesus is sharing the words that, that we just read from Matthew 11. And so Jesus, he sends word back to the prison through disciples of John who are asking, you know, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we expect another? And so Jesus sends them back to confirm, John, what you believe is true. The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The dead are raised. Believe it, John. You spoke rightly. The one whose sandals you are not worthy to untie has come, and soon you will hear, well done, my good and faithful messenger. So the Bible tells us that, um, you know, that John and Jesus knew each other even before they were born. Um, you know, when Mary comes into Elizabeth's house, greets her, see the Spirit of God present uh, in John, just an act of worship in Utero, really. Um, Elizabeth confirms this. And 30 years later, when John sees Jesus, the worship continues. Look, look at him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of, of whom I said, after, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is why I've come. This is why I baptize. He must increase and I must decrease. That's the posture of a faithful messenger. So this forerunner gives, gives way to Jesus, gives way to the salvation of Israel. He leads you know, the worship of the one that they seek. The one who would suddenly come into his temple when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for that final time. Where did he go first? right into the temple driving out those who are using the church to make a profit instead of 
devoting themselves to prayer. So partial fulfillment of Malachi's words, the great and terrible day of the Lord is yet to come. This is what we long for. This was the, you know, the, the hope of the house of Israel, the people of God, the world over, are waiting for this now. So John is the one who announces that the first advent of Jesus, or word of, of repentance. And then Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, who's going to announce his second advent. Here's what it says. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I pray that's true for us this time of year. That we're encouraging one another, encouraging our families, encouraging our friends with this truth. You know, right before his death, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was exhorting those closest to him not to pray for his physical healing. Don't hold me back from the glory. That's what he kept saying. Don't hold me back. Because he knew that he would always be with the Lord. Do you need to hear that this morning? Someone you know? Need to hear that? We sh- need to hear that sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You share in His glory. Oh, for more of the glory. We're never separated from our Lord. So the resurrected Lord Jesus will come in judgment. He will come to cleanse and purify. It moves us into these next verses in Malachi. So we've answered who the messengers are. But what is the message? We're told in verses uh, 2 through 4 here, it's a message of, of washing and refining and a message of worship. This is when I'd really like to hit play on George Frederick Handel's The Messiah. So you could hear that baritone uh, sing verse 2 and the chorus breaking in in verse 3. Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? So the answer to this rhetorical question is no one. No one can stand when He appears. God is just. He is pure. He is holy. He will consume all evil. Which means the people of Judah need to seriously consider their own ways. Because violating the Lord's covenant will result in purification result in judgment and so they're crying out in 2 verse 17 well where's the god of justice when what they really need to be thinking about is whether uh, they're going to benefit at all when that justice arrives the sons of levi reference to the priests here needing needing purification you see that the priests were the primary leaders in worship they were the primary instructors for the people, uh, week in and week out. Uh, Malachi 2.7 tells us what the priests should be about. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, trusted by God to lead the people. But verse 8 says what they were really doing. But you've turned aside from the way. 
You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord is going to purify His priests, like heating up these precious metals so that the dross would just separate and could be removed. But the priests are representatives. That this purifying implicates all the people of Israel. All would be cleansed spiritually, be made ready to stand before the Lord. So again, partially fulfilled in the ministry of John in his baptism of repentance. When the priests are, are purified, then right worship and uh, acceptable worship can be offered again to the Lord. Just like in the days of old. That the, in the old, the old covenant sacrificial system was acceptable. This was approved by God. He's the one that, that put this in place, but it's all a preview. A, a pointer in the story to the new covenant and the messenger of that covenant who would himself offer the one-time sacrifice for sins. And so now all who look to the Lord Jesus in faith are washed, cleansed, cleansed from the impurity of our sin. And it's only then that we can stand before the Lord when He appeareth. I have to put the TH at the end there as I think of that song. So in describing the true Israel of God, describing the church, here's what the Apostle Peter says. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, made to worship Him, made to proclaim His excellencies. So here's where we need to hold up the mirror of Malachi's words. Because like these priests, we have turned away. We've corrupted the covenant. We've made others stumble. But we've received mercy. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And so we worship. We bring our lives as offerings to the Lord, not not to make atonement for sin, but as offerings of love and gratitude to God. Jesus is our righteousness. And when we worship in His name, that is a sweet aroma. That is a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. So a question you might be asking, certainly worth asking at this point, why is the purity of the priest so important? The purity of the, the messengers who speak and instruct in the ways of the Lord. And certainly we have you know, leaders and preachers in mind for sure. Uh, but the mirror's in front of us all. We're a priesthood of believers. Here's where I appreciate the thoughts of the late Dr. David Jones makes some comments on this. He says, first of all, we must be a people, a priesthood of faith. You know, how can we understand uh, what covenant obedience looks like how can we share in the mercy of God in Christ if we don't have hearts of faith? And this is faith that knows things. It's faith that has an intellectual piece, but it's, it's relational and expresses itself in obedience to the Lord. And that's, that's linked to this, the second reason why purity is important. It really is a matter of trust. If you or anyone else you know is going to believe a message from someone, what must be true of the messenger? You have to trust them. They have to be trustworthy. And we live in a, in a world where there's very little 
trust around us. It's not hard to see why. I mean, we're reminded daily, whether you're at the office or at home or you're scanning news sources, uh, those in leadership, positions of power, difficult to trust. Say one thing and then very opposite the next day. Are we trusted messengers? Are the words that we say backed up by the lives that, that we live? And if we do speak falsely, and it's brought to our attention, we realize this, do we repent and, and seek to correct it? So faith, trust, and, and then the truth itself. Purity is important because our Master is pure. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We follow, we follow Him. We walk in His ways. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Will others see the character of Jesus in us? The fruit of His Spirit that compels them to listen and by the grace of God share in this journey that we share. In one of his many sermons, Charles Spurgeon, he said, Sanctity in ministers is a loud call to sinners to repent. And when allied with holy cheerfulness, it becomes wonderfully attractive. So he's speaking of ministers of the Gospel, but hold up the mirror, priesthood of believers. Your obedience, even when that is not clearly understood by someone else, even when you're initially made fun of, when accompanied by a cheerfulness and joy in the Lord in obeying, that's very attractive. So Malachi's prophecy really has a way here of striking, striking at the heart of religiosity, at nominal Christianity. Hey, everything is backwards. Where's the God of justice? But are you Christian ready to receive, to be found faithful at His coming? So the people in Jerusalem, all over Judea, again, almost 400 years before the fulfillment of the prophet's words, at least in part. But God's people continue to wait the world over for the second coming of our Lord Jesus. He will purify His temple. The temple of the living God made up of all His saints. And when He comes, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. We will be forever healed. Forever restored. We will be holy as He is holy and worship Him with gladness. This is what we wait for in an Advent season. And given the track record of God's promises through the prophets, then we have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to celebrate. And whether King Jesus returns in our lifetimes or not, you know, let's, let's make ready for the glory that awaits. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we consider this word, the prophet, we ask that you would make our hearts ready to receive you and your glorious return. Lord, as we celebrate your first advent, we long for your second when you will come in glory and majesty with the hosts of heaven and trail and all will hear the sound of the trumpet, the archangel, your messenger, proclaiming your coming. We thank you in giving the forerunner in John the Baptist 
and his message of repentance. Lord, may we heed this message. If we have not turned to you and laid down our lives before you, given our lives over to you in faith, in obedience, I pray that you would draw us now to yourself. And Lord, that you would deepen our faith, that you would grow our longing for your return when this prophecy will be fulfilled in every part in the world over. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.